Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on? Podcast Nation is Jason Harris here with my man, Kyle. Welcome to a very special edition of The Drive. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, so for everyone out there listening, watching right now, Kyle, who don't know who you are and how you kind of got started in the industry, you know I love kicking off these podcasts with a little origin story. So what is the origin story of Kyle getting started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Yeah, you know, I always start this like a little bit different, right? Because... Every, once you get on like 10 podcasts, you've done your origin story 10 times, of right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I think uh, like one of the interesting things about my origin story is back when I was probably in middle school. Uh, so my dad was a pastor, okay. right? Yeah. Um, so which makes great, uh, like every every pastor's kid wants to become a, a car salesperson when they're growing up, uh, right? Of, of course, yeah. absolutely. So I actually had someone when I was in middle school stop me and said, hey, you like just your personality, the way you communicate, you should think about selling cars one day. I was like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my whole life, right? <laughs> um, here we are uh, just a few years later, right? So uh, reality is, is I, my, my wife and I, well, not wife at the time, she had gotten a job in Pensacola as a uh, professional ballerina, which that's a whole story in itself, okay, right? that's cool. So uh, I had to get down there because we weren't going to live together. And uh, Pensacola is not particularly known for music or church starts, which is kind of what I went to school for. Okay. Right? And so uh, there was this tinge in my ear of that person in middle school that was like, you might be good at selling something, mainly cars. So I went to an interview. Um, I fogged a mirror real quick. It was really a fancy interview. <laughs> and they said, you're hired. Can you start tomorrow? I had to move all of my stuff, so I started a couple weeks later, and uh, that was a Kia dealership. Now you know where I started because if you <laughs> Google Kia and Pensacola, there's only one. And uh, that was an interesting experience. Moved on from that, uh, so I was selling cars, sold cars there, uh, then then worked at a Nissan store there in Pensacola for about a year and a half, um, and then uh, about a year after that um, was kind of quickly into management and. Yeah running stores and and I've you know kind of run the gamut for across the variable ops side operationally even start you know I've learned service train service and so uh, you, you got your background in everything yeah like, it, I, mean, I just kind of like touch you touch everything I've touched everything the you only thing I have not done and you'll never want me to do is turn a wrench turn um, a wrench I'm the same way I got nothing but mad ex- mad mad respect for anybody that can turn a set of wrenches because Absolutely. what those set of wrenches are worth in my hands is nowhere close to what it's worth in someone else's hands. Dude, I would mess it up every time. I mean, I can right? do home, I can do simple home like housework and stuff, um, <laughs> but you do not want me underneath a car. That is for sure. Actually, the, the, the techs where I used to work always made fun of me because like I, I couldn't even get, get it right like to lift the car, right? <laughs> like we'd, we'd set it. I'd be back there, you know, we've got to look at a used car and they're like, they're on the other side of the lift. They're like, all right, lift it up. I'm like, yeah, that's going to happen. We're going to have to switch around. <laughs> so, so, so you, you've had an opportunity to kind of taste a lot of different aspects of marketing and operations. Yeah. Uh, you know, for anybody that's getting into the business for the first time, all right, that hasn't had a chance to taste everything like you have, what, what advice would you give them? 
Well, I think what's interesting is is a lot of people, they just, when they see the car business, mm-hmm. they see salespeople, right? Yeah. Um, or service advisors. And while that is a really, really strong entry point into the industry, the industry is recognizing, and even just internally, that there's a lot more entry points that we can plug people into. So for sure. whether you went to school for accounting or for marketing or for, um, you know, customer service or HR, there's a there's a place for you in retail automotive, let alone like the vendor side of things, right? Which yeah. is a whole nother side of automotive that I, I was actually, interestingly enough, um, I was uh, I was telling someone, we're out here at driving sales, digital dealer, right? Yeah. I was telling someone where, what I'm doing, where I'm going. And they said, oh, so like it's a conference for like what? Like the people that, you know, build like the seats and the stuff for the, for the cars. And I was like, yeah. oh no, Not there's even. a whole vendor side of like the tech that dealers use. Yeah. And, and they, they just didn't have a frame of reference for it. So if you, if you haven't been in the industry, there's this whole technology landscape that dealers have to execute with in order to do that on a ground level that like the manufacturers like a Ford or a Mazda or a Toyota, you know, don't even dip their hands into. So would you advise someone getting into the business that that's where they should look at first? Either way, right? Yeah. Especially, you that's know. That's hilarious because I know you're going from the dealer world over to the vendor world, which I did yeah. the same thing, right? I was a dealer principal and then I, I left that to join the dark side. And, <laughs> you know, I, I became part of the dark side. No, I'm just kidding. But um, but, but that's that's interesting because most people you talk to in the automotive industry, they don't tell you, well, go check out the vendor side of it, right? Yeah, you but, know, I think I think either way, right? I think. But, it, but it's fun being a vendor because you get to be a partner. Well, right? and what's really and with cool a lot is of people. with dealers, like you kind of get locked into like your dealer, your location, your, your brand, area, yeah, 100%. your brand. And what I've learned even before I moved to the vendor side, which was just a couple months ago, um, is that as you start to tap into that, you mm-hmm. start to lay across, you know, a greater swath of the industry, get to know people, the networking. I mean, it is really, it's actually a really cool industry once you get to yeah. just that networking level and getting to engage with people outside of just your location, your store, so. Yeah, no, look, yeah. I, actually, I mean, I gotta be honest with you, it's something that I was surprised by when I got into the vendor side, was, you know, I had a Mitsubishi dealership, so my whole life was Mitsubishi, used cars, that was yep. it, right? And, you know, getting getting over to the vendor side, I get to just deal with so many different, you know, size of operations, different brands, different issues, and it's actually, it's, it's a fun challenge. Right. It really is. So, I, I, you know what? I don't actually don't disagree with you. I think that's not a necessarily a bad, well, a bad and thing to I mean, think about when so, you first get in the business. So last night, I, I'm, I'm on the plane, right? And my life for the last eight and a half years has been Mazda, yes. right? So I know Mazda co-op guidelines. <laughs> like the back, right? I can probably, I probably actually know them better than the OEM because I actually am the one that has to execute on of them. Course. Like I can tell Ann Sira and Shift more about the co-op guidelines than they can, right? <laughs> and so, but last night I'm literally organizing a drive folder mm-hmm. of like 17 different co-op programs <laughs> so that I like can always pull them up yeah. based on who I'm working with. And so it's really cool to see how different manufacturers handle that different stores handle, how they execute, you know, the, these marketing strategies. And, and so you really get this, if you are on the vendor side or come into that side, you get a really good overview of the industry. Yeah, However, do. I will say this, I know that those that started on the vendor side and have never left have a unique disadvantage because of their they inability do. to know what it looks like. To understand the operation side. day to day operations. No, I, I'm with you, I think that's definitely been 
a big part of my success is understanding you know what it takes to stay two and a half hours after after closing to close a deal Dude. to finance to find out that they can't even finance a right. hot dog if they wanted to right um you know like so to, to go through the chaos and the pain that is dealer operations i think it's really important as a vendor i think it brings a lot of insight so actually that's a good segue into my next question then for you so then how do we make the vendor and dealer relationship let's say stronger or more like a partnership rather than a client customer. Yeah. Well, one, I would say if you're on the vendor side and, and this is something that I'm keenly aware of, actually, I've already talked to a few dealers that are willing to, to do this for me uh -huh. even, is I know that even being, you know, moving from, from uh, the sales engine mm -hmm. to the marketing engine within the dealership, I need to just keep my skills sharp on knowing what it feels like to be on the showroom floor in the service drive. So I'd go write service yeah. or I'd go, you know, work the desk for, you know, a half a day or something like that. And so if you're on the vendor side, find a dealer partner that you really have a good relationship with and create the inroads to like spend a day doing the work with them. Yeah. Right. Um, to where you can not just learn, but if you have been on the dealer side, stay sharp, right? Know what's know what it feels like still to be in that world. I think that will go a long way for the not just that dealer, but all the dealers that you work with. Well, hundred percent. You you, really, you want to put yourself into your client's shoes, and the better yeah. you can understand what they're dealing with on a regular basis, you can empathize them with. It's the better. same way that I encourage salespeople to, at minimum annually, go shop for a car. Oh yeah, or I even encourage salespeople to spend time in the service department next to the Same. service advisor, just yep. so they know what the advisor has to go through on a regular basis. I mean, how many times do you hear the, the sales department, you know, complain about the, the parts department or the service department? And it's like, man, just, you haven't, you haven't been in their shoes. Go spend some time with them. Yep. You know, you'll yep. find out that they're, they're dealing with a lot. Yep. I, you know, and then from the dealer perspective, mm -hmm. you know, what we want, like what all dealers want is they always say, I want partners, I want partners, I want partners. Yet, what they, all, what they do is they show up to meetings late, right? <laughs> okay, cancel, man, we can do a whole podcast just cancel on Cancel all the topic. virtual <laughs> sessions, right? Yeah. Um, when they are on the virtual session, they're checking emails because they, they've got two screens up, right? Yeah. And so, you know, and to be clear, like, I have not experienced this yet, but I just know what it was like being on the dealer side, even like getting everyone in the room. So this is really cool. I, I know a few dealerships now that are actually bringing all of their vendor partners that are key players okay. into the room at the same time. Yeah, I, I have a few clients that do that on a regular basis. Genius. I get, and I think it's, it, it's amazing. You know, I get invited on a lot of these uh, OEM calls. Yeah. Um, which it's, just, it's a bit of a hack, to be honest with you. And I think any dealer out there that's got a good vendor partner, you should consider doing this. Yeah. Uh, because I hear information and I'm able to consume information and I'm able to put marketing campaigns in play faster than me waiting around for an email that they may or may not remember to actually send to me in the first Without place. Without a doubt. And now if you've oh. got, you know, your third party marketplace, your your traditional, your your yeah. digital, your uh, all of those people in the room with your executive team planning, you actually are strategizing at a much deeper level than you ever could with like oh, a vendor, you know, cause then every vendor has to ask the same questions. How many cars have you sold this month? Yeah. How many are you planning next month? What's the inventory like? And you just feel like you're repeating yourself. But if you can get them all in the same room sometimes, 
like the speed and efficiency that well, you can I, see, I think the, the best part about being in the same room and any dealers out there that's watching or listening to this right now is, you know, I don't find dealers share enough about their operational goals and objectives mm. with their vendors. So, I mean, that was, you know, it, that was an exercise I did when I was a dealer. And I, I didn't know that most people didn't do this, to be honest with you. I actually thought this was normal practice. Yep. I would go to my website provider. I'd go to my marketing company. I'd go to my BDC. I would go to, I'd go to all of my vendors and say, hey, look, you know, this month I need to increase our CP, you know, uh, hours per RO by 0.3. That's what I'm looking for. That's my goal. All right. I'm, I'm looking to increase test drives on our Lancers by at least 27%, right? And, and these are the kind of operational like goals the I've finite in place. details, yeah, right? Yeah, really yeah. finite details. And then I just simply say, say, here's the goal. Now, when we meet, okay, now this is the other thing I find is important when you have meetings is that you have this information in advance, right? Yes. When we meet, that's what I want to discuss. And wait, on how you you're going to help me the do meeting. It. Oh yeah. You 100%. were saying this is the expectation that I have. So then they would come to, to me with ideas table. and I loved it. And it was Genius. so productive. And I'll tell you, it wasn't a three hour meeting. No. A lot of times they were 30 minutes and they would come back to me and say, hey Jay, website provider, come back to me and say, hey Jay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna change this. We're gonna move some homepage banners around. We're gonna put up some additional splash pages and landing pages around that. And we're gonna build out uh, a page uh, giving details on what's the value proposition to take a test drive on the Lancer. And what's the, I'm like, okay, well, that, go do that. Yeah. You know, so I let them take ownership of my operational goals and objectives. I gotta be honest with you, we crushed it that way. My life was so much easier. Any dealers, you guys gotta do this. Yeah, that's and, and not just that, but they were probably freed up to get innovative. Oh yeah, well, 100%. Instead of going, yeah, the, the last, the last dealer innovative. over here, we just kind of cookie cutter this, so let's put it in yours and see if it works. Oh right? God, I can't stand that, I can't stand <laughs> that. But actually, I mean, I tell a lot of dealers out there, if you are shopping for a vendor of, of any kind, if they don't ask you about your operational goals, yeah. Then they're probably not the vendor for you. Right. Oh, there's the Elvis wedding chapel. See, I do squirrel sometimes. There it is. Uh, there it is. We want to get married. Look at that. Man, this That's is not fun. as pretty as a drive as usual. There's like construction there's everywhere. There's construction everywhere <laughs> there's out here. Like normally yeah, this orange is like, cones like, like, oh, like, oh yeah, this is going to be a great video. <laughs> just Let's just stare <laughs> at orange cones the entire time while Jason and Kyle drive up and down the strip. <laughs> At least you got the city of Las Vegas sign. Right yeah, I got there. The, there it is. We're there it is. We're going right under it. That'll That's be the good. fadeaway scene right there. Yes. <laughs> Fabulous. So I, I like I like this topic. I like what we're jamming about right now. Yeah. I like I like creating better partnerships. But let's let's talk. I want to get your thoughts on this because you spent a lot of time in the dealer uh, yeah. dealership. All right. What are your thoughts on creating better partnerships within the departments? Yeah. So. And, and I think that I, that actually even still breaks down, right? Is mm -hmm. because when you talk about depart, departments having to have partnerships, there's still a level of segmentation there, right? 100%. And, and what I find really interesting is, and I, and I don't care what company it is, is that we do start to segment these, the departments. And mm -hmm. what happens, and this is, the one that, this is the one that I hate, right? Oh, service. They can never get the cars through on time. Oh, sales. They're always bringing the cars in when, when we have five cars in the lane, right? Oh, parts. Oh, they, they oh. want to charge me over retail on everything. All parts wants to do is blah, you know, and oh, accounting. They're just always coming back with issues on my deals, right? And, and the, best, the best organizations and the best companies understand that departments have 
efficiencies within themselves that need to operate, you know, slightly segmented from the rest of the store in order to keep everybody accountable. But the best companies understand the dynamic of, of, of everybody being on the same playing field and working together toward a common goal. So this is the way I look at it. And I look at this in sales, in, in any, in any engagement, right? Is that the majority of the time what we do, and I'll use my hands to kind of describe it, is we, is we put the, the, the problem as the person across the table, right? For sure. And so whether that be a department or a client or anything like that, it's like the problem to solve is how to get that person or that department in line with me. Yes. Instead, if what we did is instead of facing this way and we both faced the other way, right? Mm-hmm. And allowed the prom- problem to be in front of both of us, then all of a sudden we're both we're both after the same problem together moving but, forward. But see, that requires ownership. Right. And I, I think to get the departments to take ownership of, you know, kind of each other, that has to come from the top down. And yeah. I, I got to be honest with you, and this, this, this is not a, a great part of our, of our industry, but I've been in a lot of, a lot of manager meetings. And I hate to say it, but there are a lot of dealer principals out there that will pin each department against each other. They will. Yep. Like, just, I mean, just, well, look what this one's doing. Look at the gross profit that they brought in. And why can't you, you know, like, so it's like, Sad. how do we, how do, how, I don't know where that actually came from, to be honest with you. I don't know how that started, like pinning departments yep. together. But what, what advice can you give to managers that are in that type of situation where they feel like the ownership is pinning um, the, the, each department's against each other? All right. So any, like first, buy the book Traction, okay? And just leave it, leave it in random places around the dealership and hope dealer that your boss, the, the dealer principal there. picks it up, right? Because it's really, you know, the level 10 meeting, especially the manager's meeting, there's a lot of great things within the meeting. But what I really love about it is they, you bring these, what, what they call IDSs in, identify, um, discuss, and solve. And the idea is that, is that we're going to identify an issue and then we actually all have to discuss it together. And so what happens is now the sales team is helping the, the service team solve an issue. And what happens is what they realize is that they actually have an operational efficiency in their department that's harming the other department. Yeah. Uh, their, their ability to thrive and survive. And so if, uh, if any leader uh, you know, wants to really create that efficiency, you can, you can really simply do it with, with attacking the, you know, with giving that to, to the leadership. And yeah. so um, if you're a dealer principal on the line and you haven't read that, uh, or if you haven't like watched 20 hours of Simon Sinek Actually, videos. Actually, you know another one is um, yeah. that I just got I just got into is a predictive success. Oh, okay. You got to check that one out. Uh, again, it's kind of the same thing as you know this this person spent 20 years uh, and he's he's a mathematician trying to predict success within companies, thinking that there was a formula and a series of numbers to do it. And over the 20 years, he realizes that's not the case. Yeah. And it has a lot to do with the people and the way that we organize those people. Yep that can actually create a formula around predictive success. Yeah. But so, and then if, if you're in like what I would call like middle level management within yeah. a dealership and you feel this, uh, like what you were saying that the ownership, the leadership isn't operating in that way, yeah. do this, go to another department, identify an issue you in your department, not in their department, identify an issue in the, in your department and ask them to help you solve it. Ask for advice and bring that solution to the leadership together. And when they see you working in that way, it, it's contagious. Did, did I just use that word? You did a thing did I like do that? that? Did I just did drop that? Did you do that? Did I just do a mic drop? 
Did he, did he say contagious? Man, why didn't you get that car? There's you, a slingshot can, can you, we just drove by that's orange. orange. Can you imagine recording audio in that? No. Belted we'd be, in the face we'd with, be done. Uh, this is actually not too bad. Right. All right. Except I didn't realize how how much music is being played on this trip as we're driving around. Okay, so. wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we interrupt this podcast to bring you this question, which is a burning question in our industry, speaking of orange. Yes. It's a burning question in our industry. We're flipping the tides. I'm throwing it at you. Oh no. You can choose which way to answer the question. It's who started first or who wore it better, Jason Harris or Sean V. Bradley with the orange color? Oh, that's me. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's do you for both even, answers? That, oh, no, 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 no. He started wearing it long before. Funny thing is I didn't even know. So there was something I got taught by a successful manager years and years ago. And he taught me the whole uh, methodology behind uh, horse blinders. And if, you, okay. if you're into horse racing, you'll notice that they wear these kind of like things on the side of their eyes. And the reason for that is they can't see the horses to the left or to the right of them. So it creates a blinder. So it always makes them right. focus on what's ahead. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that, 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 that theory can be easily used in business as well. I, I started wearing an orange tie literally by accident. Have I told you the story about no, it? No, okay. that's why I'm asking this okay, question. Okay, so so uh, I was going to a conference. So I, I, I sold my dealership, started the agency, going to a conference. I'm literally within a week of, of probably selling the, selling the dealership. Didn't even have a business card yet, by the way. Yeah. And you know, I we didn't even have a name for the company. So you can see how the name for the company was really artistic. Digital Dealership Solutions. Yeah, that took a long time to think about. In fact, actually, it was a graphic designer that came up with the name for it. And they're like, DDS. I'm like, okay, sounds good. Didn't oh, realize wow. later there's like 17 DDSs, by right. the way, in our industry. Um, <laughs> but I got I got to the conference, was heading, was going to head down to the conference, realized I didn't have a tie. So I'm like, crap. So I know the hotel I was staying at had a fancy you know, men's clothing store downstairs. So I'm yeah. like, oh God, I'm gonna have to go down there and buy a $300 tie or something. I'm gonna be so angry because I have to do this, right? So I go down there and I'm, I'm looking and they have a clearance section. I'm like, all right, $150 for a tie. Um, and, and from the side of my eye, I noticed this orange. And I'm like, wait a second, that looks like the logo they made. And I pull out the business card they made for me. It's this black business card, with an orange logo on it. I said, you know what? I'm gonna buy a tie that I'm never gonna wear again. All right, I might as well buy an orange tie. All right, uh, so I bought the orange tie, went through the conference, made a lot of co good connections, networked my way through the whole crowd and everything. And then afterwards, I started calling up on people and connecting with people. And they're like, Jason who? Jason what? What do, what do you do again? The, you remember the guy with the orange tie? Oh, I remember Dumb. talking to you. And that's when it, I had this light bulb moment when I got back from this conference of color association. And then, of course, I, I, I read a book on color association after, yeah, after that. Of course. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. And everything, everything, all of our sell sheets, our websites, all of our logos moving forward, all became orange. Um, I bought 17 orange ties off of Amazon. By the way, no $150 ties. Wow. 1999. Um, <laughs> and you were off. That's I was wild. off. And you know, some people would struggle to remember, you know, my name or something like that, but they would remember the guy wearing an orange tie. The guy with the orange the tie. The guy with the orange tie. Wow. It was only until probably maybe nine months later did somebody ask me about this Bradley guy. They're like, do you work for him? No and, um, way. I was like, who's who's this person? 
and I had to look it up. And that's just me just having my blinders on and just not knowing anything else in the industry or anybody else around wow. me. Uh, but it, but it, it was, look, it, it was a fun origin story, but I also think it's a good lesson to learn yeah. is that you just don't, you just don't pay attention to everybody else around you. I mean, you know, it's interesting. So similar story, right? So, yeah. you know, my, my, my new thing is contagious, contagious yes. auto. Paul Daly and myself have started this and, uh, but so by the way, you couldn't have picked a better partner. I it's, mean. Oh, dude, it's been, <laughs> you wouldn't even believe some of the stuff like that comes out of our brains on calls and, and we just, it's, it's going to be really fun. And, uh, yeah, just, just the, the stuff that we're going to be able to do and mm -hmm. how we want to impact the industry. So that's, it's just like the partnership has been really fun already. But so I'm, uh, uh, I created this name. This was, uh, in the middle of the pandemic, by the way. Three yes. months into the pandemic Good and I'm sitting down, I'm like trying to write like all these different ideas for a podcast. Cause that was the first idea. Right. Yep. And I'm writing all these names. I'm like, I want to start a podcast. I know I just want to talk about things that I'm seeing in the industry. Right. So I'm writing out all these names and I get contagious out. I'm like, man, that sounds good. Like something it's that's catchy. contagious, something that's, you know, it's engaging unique. and all that. Yeah. So the first person I tell goes, don't you think it's bad timing? <laughs> right. And I was like, ah, golly. Right. <laughs> And uh, then I thought, you know what? Maybe not, because maybe actually people understand that this whole like, like what's contagious actually goes a lot quicker if it's yeah, contagious. Yeah, I, I think the right? meaning of contagious is actually probably better known now than it ever has been in the past. So it's not a bad exactly. Thing. So it's not a bad thing. So then, I go to call the podcast "Contagious Conversations." The CDC has a podcast called "Contagious Conversations." Oh, so I started. I started by calling it "Contagious Podcast." We've since rebranded it "Contagious Conversations" because that's what I really want it to be. And the CDC's <laughs> podcast is, blah, right? <laughs> so, but the the whole point of the story is I'm on Clubhouse, and uh, I'm talking about the brand. This is like March of 2021 now, and uh, "Contagious." How'd you come up with it? This is how it happened. And uh, John Acosta yeah. says to me, oh, man, you must have read the book by Jonah Berger called Contagious. <laughs> I'm like, no, I've never yeah, read that it. book. He's like, you're literally, you're saying all of the things that he says in his book about marketing and branding. <laughs> I'm like, no, I've literally never heard of the book. So you, I'm on Clubhouse on Amazon like while you're ordering the book. <laughs> Four you days still later, order paper books. Hold on, I do. You're one of those weird people. I have to oh read my the book. Gosh. I have to read the book because this is what happens when I'm when I'm listening to a book or reading a book here. I, you order the paper, so, the actual physical in hand paper. So I have I have a very. We're gonna get to the end of the story. I All promise, right? Enough, right? Sorry. <laughs> well, no. The end of the story is I read the book and like the first chapter, and I'm like, this guy and I are singing off the same song sheet. So yeah. I named the company well, right? There you go. But. So on the book thing, right? I have a little bit of a, um, of like a, uh, what's it called? A visual memory. I just sure. lost the word, right? Um, so, so I can remember where things are in a book based off the way the paragraphs feel and read. Yeah, okay. And so I don't really underline or write notes in books. I have uh, that, that, what's the dang word for the memory? Oh, well, whatever. We'll plug but it in later. Where you can, where you can like remember things by sight, right? Um, but so I can go back to a book and if I'm like, man, I really want to remember that quote or that paragraph, I can actually thumb through it really quickly and pull right to it. Mm -hmm. um, basically any book that I've ever read. So I have to read the paper book so that I can go back and remember things. 
There you go. Makes and sense. there's something about it that the only way I actually pay attention is if I'm holding it. Right? Ah, okay. Um, so yeah, I, I still order paper books and, and I, they stack up in, in my house and then I read them and well, I contagious, think it's be contagious is one of those incredible books that, uh, that everybody should read for sure. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to the audio on the way. You home. should. There you go. <laughs> it's a great book. Jonah Berger, shout out. So let's, let's dive a little more into this contagious because I think there's just, it, it starts, right? It, it starts somewhere within a dealership. It's an, it, it's an idea. And I gotta be honest, yeah, I'm not a big fan of ideas, you know, unless they're deeply rooted into a goal and objective, right? Mm. So like, cause I mean, how many times have you walked into a meeting? I know I've had where, let me tell you about my good idea. And I'm like, oh God, here it comes. But a good idea just kind of sits there, but it only becomes put into action when there's an actual goal put behind it, yep. right? So, so, so how do we take a good idea and, and make it contagious, you know, within our operational efforts? Yeah, so let me, let me just clear the air on this, right? I think that there's, there's three layers of thought, right? Okay. One is what I would call thoughtfulness, and I actually got this idea from a guy named Darren Doan, is that thoughtfulness is actually extremely valuable to your long-term success. Yeah. And, and actually what we're doing right now is thoughtfulness. It's, it's really like ideating on the theory of what's next, mm -hmm. right? Thoughtfulness, actually what happens as thoughtfulness ruminates, it creates ideas. Mm -hmm. But like you said, unless ideas are on that third level, which is execution, then, then the thoughtfulness actually isn't meaningful. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is, is what most people do is they, is they idolize ideas. Yes. And actually what has to happen is they you like to keep it in idea land. Yep. You actually have to, um, you have to actually pull back on ideas and move from thoughtfulness to execution much quicker. Yes. Right. That's where I find that, that that is where I think our industry struggles the most or, or not, I'm not going to say the industry that just, let's say just dealerships. Yep. That's where they struggle the most is that, that transition right there. Absolutely. So the idea on uh, behind Contagious and specifically the company and the brand is that our industry has an obvious culture problem, yeah. right? That is systemic within the industry. However, yeah. not totalitarian. It's not, it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't cover 100% of the industry. So we're not speaking to, you know, the top 10% of dealers, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe even less, maybe top 5% of dealers that are, that, don't have this overwhelming culture issue. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is you probably get another 50% that believe there's not a culture issue, right? But what I know is that the perception is, is similar to the guy that was on the plane last night that, that hasn't been to a dealership in, in 11 years after a poor purchase experience and is about my age. Okay. Because his perception based on that reality is that the culture and the dynamics of doing business with our industry is not good. Ah. And so you have to understand that the culture within our industry is, is not good. And, and that the perception follows that culture. Yeah. So we don't just have a PR problem, we have a culture problem. And so for us, for Paul and myself, that culture and, and PR problem can actually be solved within a positive marketing persona within the dealership. For sure. Reason being is because the marketers are, are typically the best communicators. And so if the marketers can get the executive leadership on board with a story-driven why-based uh, why business philosophy, yeah. meaning solid core vision, 
values and mission that translate to a go-to-market strategy, both internally and externally, mm-hmm. that actually begins to shift culture and thereby perception within the local, uh, within the local uh, sphere of influence. If we can do that, in more dealerships? Well, that's, I mean, changing the perception, that, that is, that's a huge starting point, right? Right. Um, but then it has to go into the operations of it. Right. I mean, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I, I'm sure you've done business, and I've done business with other companies. That's totally outside of automotive. Right. That I had the perception going into it. I'm like, this is gonna be a fun experience. Then you kind of find out it really isn't. Right. Because it falls apart, right? So, so, how, so how, how do we take it from you know, a, a marketing strategy um, around perception and translate it into operations. So I would say that your marketing strategy has to start with your people first. Ah, okay. Okay. A lot of people, when they think of marketing or when they hear the word marketing, they're actually, or, they, or when they say the word marketing, they are actually talking about advertising. Yes, that's what M- people's brains go My to. term for marketing is actually much deeper. And and I believe that actually, if you spent if you spent ninety percent of of your time as a marketing team marketing to your people, and ten percent marketing to people outside uh-huh. or acquisition client acquisition, your client acquisition will become a lot faster and cheaper. I, I I actually don't disagree with that. So so watch what happens is is the marketing team actually becomes the holder of vision and values within the store. Yeah, and and can communicate that naturally, internally, whether that be, I mean, you know, it goes across logos or documents or, or the words that you use within the company or the, the way that meetings are held or the way that you do culture, culture activation, um, the technology that you bring in to support the staff, right? It, it because a lot of times the, process. the marketing yeah. team actually is like the ones bringing innovative technology ideas to the stores, whether it be for HR, right? I mean, I was the marketing person brought in the HR, uh, the HR technology for our company to hire people better, right? Yeah. And so that marketing team can really be the holder of that um, if it's a well-rounded marketing team and not just like your ad buyer, right? Well, see, that, that's why I think, like, I even hate calling it the marketing team because I feel, you know, we think we both agree, it's evolved so much yes. beyond marketing. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's more branding and operations than I would say marketing because marketing is just well for how people perceive marketing right now your it's marketing more team your marketing team should have a, t- a seat at the operations table a hundred percent absolutely a hundred percent you don't see that happen right now yeah and that's and that's where I think you know like a lot of people will say well I have a marketing person yeah well what happens is is they are not well led they're not well trained and they're left to the side and they become the arts and crafts corner with it whenever you need a new graphic right <laughs> And, and, and whenever you d- decide to add something new to the website, they're told to make it work, right? Yep. Instead of them having a seat at the operations table to where they actually, they actually help lead the conversation and the innovation within the store to a point that when it comes to actually advertising whatever you're changing, it's a natural flow in the process. Yes. Right, and that's, that's the big shift that we're trying to bring to it and, and, and we believe that it really can shift the culture. And here's the thing. Huh? If it doesn't shift the culture and perception of our industry, retail automotive will see its end, similar to Blockbuster. Well, 100%. I mean, it's it's becoming more PR. It's, it's like we almost kind of have to find a new name for it. You know, it's not the marketing department. You know, it's like I know a lot of PR people at the OEM level. 
and it's like they're the ones that get like the tiniest budgets like ever. They yeah. don't ever they don't ever get involved in in big conversations, and it's like they're overlooked a lot, right? right. But but that is the perception, all right. And then the marketing is just kind of how we ultimately going to execute on it. But then operations has all be tied in. It has to be this collective thing. And I had to say, but you know, for the most part, I would say for the last well, the last 18, 20 years I've been in the business, it's like we have these islands. Yep. And and at best they're using Morse code to communicate with each other. <laughs> oh man, you hit a chord right there because the way I describe it is like the marketing department and the operations or executive leadership team walk into an office and they just one speaking Greek and one speaking German and both their native language is English. Yeah. Right? Might as well. <laughs> I mean, man. That's what it feels Might like, well. right? And so our goal is to kind of is is to to change that change that game and get everyone speaking English together That's or at cool. least speaking the same language, um, and and really communicating that really well um, so that it feels good and it and it and it's engaging for for both parties and um, and then it becomes really fun and then your people I'll tell you what happens retention goes up oh yeah because your people know what you're about. And they and it feels good to be a part of your company. Yeah, magic turnover goes down. Absolutely. Overall happiness. Well, culture. Culture becomes the byproduct. Bingo. You know? Well, this has been an awesome podcast. And I think a lot of people that are watching and listening right now would probably love to continue to have this conversation with you. Yeah. So what's what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, just find Contagious Auto anywhere uh, online. I'm the only Kyle Mount Seer in the world. So if you spelled it right on the podcast, you can find me. Um, or just email me, Kyle at ContagiousAuto.com. I'd love to continue the conversation. I love engaging with people in our industry on the dealer, the vendor side, any of that, um, and just getting more people rowing in the same direction. Man, I love it, dude. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. This has been a blast. Super fun.